Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this third week of Advent and the fourth day of Hanukkah. God has given his people joy. Everybody say joy. First, in the darkness of sin, he gave us the light of hope, as we learned the first week of Advent. From hope sprang forth men and women with lives of faith. Acting on the promises of God. And this week we are celebrating what always come next, right? When we have hope, hope causes us to act in faith. And when we act in faith, wonderful things happen and it brings what? It brings brings joy. What came next is that joy came from seeing what God has promised coming to pass. Joy brings strength to weakened hearts and like a fountain refreshes the weary Hanukkah began Thursday evening, the 10th, and continues uh, through Friday, the 18th. And joy is really what Hanukkah is about. It is about the oil, and we'll get into that, that did not uh, waste. It did not, uh, like that cruise uh, of oil that did not waste in when Elijah brought that miracle to the widow woman, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Joy is a never-ending fountain that comes from God. The joyous holiday of our ancient heritage, remembered as Hanukkah sprang forth from a time of captivity and persecution to a joyful time of light and celebration. The event took place in the time that we call the 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testaments when Israel was oppressed. And we'll learn a lot more about this a little bit later on. Psalm 120 through 134, those psalms are known as the Psalms of Ascent. They are believed to have been written by David and sung by the Jews as they went to Jerusalem each year for their pilgrim feasts. They were believed to be sung on this journey. For some, it was a five-mile journey. For others, it was a 20-mile or a 30- or 50-mile journey. And during that time, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. Ascent, And when they finally made it to Jerusalem, and as they climbed those steps to the temple to worship God, they would do one psalm on, on step number one, and they would quote it, and then they would step up another step, and they would say it, and they would say these psalms of ascent as they climbed the steps to 
the temple. Psalm 126 is known as the song or the psalm of ascent. And it was used by the Jews often as a way to signify the great joy that God had given them. After each Sabbath meal and on many occasions, it has become the national anthem of the people of Israel. It is an anthem of joy and it will be our call to worship today. Psalm 126 says this, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dreamed. It was our mouth that was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing, and then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them, because he had. The Lord hath done great things for us, wherefore we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Let us sing glory unto him who gives us unspeakable joy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And today we thank you, Lord, for the gift of joy, that wonderful fruit of the Spirit that flows from the depths of your being into us and out of us as a fountain to water the dry and parched earth. We pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would fill us with joy, that we would be filled with hope and faith and joy and love today. Dear God, we pray, Lord, that you would change us and make us more fit for heaven, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice and like creation, we would respond to it. And we would become what you said we will be. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. 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 Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Our text today is from Hebrews chapter 12. My sermon today is called The Never-Ending Oil of Joy. Everybody say, The Never-Ending Oil of Joy. My text is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? People are watching. I think they're watching from heaven. I think those that have gone before are watching us. I think they're like like a stadium. You know how they watch football. You know, I think there's a stadium. There's a, a bigger than a stadium. I think that there are untold millions who are watching and who are rooting for you. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. I'm sorry, I know I'm preaching in the middle of my text. I'm sorry, but there are times that I am tempted to sin. And I say, you know, they're watching. They're rooting for me. They're saying, come on, come on, Pastor Mark. You can do better than that. And uh, anyway, I'm just thinking about them right now. I'm sorry. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That scripture should give you reason to bear up, to strengthen up, and to set your, set your heart like a flint to do what's right. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray for us today, Lord, as we go through your word. Lord, we want you to speak to us. Lord, we're not just interested in learning some new thing that we can talk about, but we want to hear your voice. It's only you and your voice that changes us. Lord, we want to hear it. Speak to us today. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, today throughout the service, my mind keeps going back to our call to worship from Psalm 126, the Psalm of Ascent. God gives us a picture of joy. And you know what joy does? Joy gives us wings of faith. That's what it does. By faith, God's people made the long journey to Jerusalem for their pilgrimage feast three times a year. As they went up the landscape to Jerusalem and wherever you are in Israel, you're always going up to Jerusalem. It's kind of an odd landscape, whether it's down by uh, the Jordan River down near Jericho. It is you're going up, 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 up over several miles to Jerusalem. If you're out uh, on the Mediterranean and you're headed across, it is kind of a flat plain and and you're walking in. You're, you walk even through uh, what they call Gog and Magog, you know, where the battle is supposed to take place at the end of all things. And you go there, but as you get to Jerusalem, you begin to go up, up, up. And so all of Israel kind of flows into, it's the center of the landscape of Israel. And as they begin to ascend it, they sang these songs. And they made their way then into the holy city And you find in the holy city, you go up, up, up into the holy city to Mount Zion. Through the stone walls of the city of David in the heart of it, they would then encounter steps that would take them up. And if you've ever been there, which we have, and uh, you got to go up even further up. The temple was up on top of the the, the highest peak there, uh, Zion. As they went up those steps to the temple, they sang the soul-lifting joy of these songs. You know, singing can be joy pouring forth from your soul. Amen? I was thinking about the difference between uh, happiness and giddiness and excitedness and joy as just a few moments ago. And I was thinking, you know, if... If you found out you were, all the kids found out today, we're going to Wally World, you know. Uh, we're going to Disney World. We're going to, some, oh, wow, you know. And, and that's, that's something, but that's not joy. Joy is what, what you feel when you're standing at this front pew right here. And the minister is standing before your son or your daughter. And they're marrying a good godly man. 
or a good godly woman who will love them and take care of them better than maybe you even have. And you stand there and you're looking at it and tears begin to flow from your face and you're not jumping up and down and you're not giggling. You're just, you're just crying because you're so happy that God has been so good to you. That's the difference between giddiness and joy. Joy doesn't need to scream and to shout. Joy can scream and shout, but joy can be quiet and just bubble like a spring. As it comes out, it waters the midst of all around us and quenches our thirst. Joy is indeed like water to the thirsty. Laughter is a similar act of joy, and it is, as the Bible tells us, is like medicine. If you're heavy in your heart and hope seems fleeting, try singing. When Saul was troubled by evil spirits, he sent for David. He couldn't even sing, but just listening to David sing would sometimes help him out. Many times in pain and heaviness, I myself have lifted up my voice to God in song, not really feeling very happy, Matt. I remember singing the words and kind of laughing at myself as I did. I sing because I'm happy. But I really wasn't very happy. Faltering at the words because they seemed anything but true. Only to then take off with tears of joy when I heard the next line come out. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. That's joy. Amen. Sitting in failure and discouragement more than once, I was able to laugh at my own absurdity. And like medicine to the sick, joy raised me up on my feet, my feet of faith. A word study on joy led me to conclude that the word that we use in our language falls short of what is meant by the original Hebrew and even in the Greek. Joy means rejoicefulness. (laughs) We don't really have that word, do we? Rejoicefulness. The actions of happiness oftentimes in the midst of great contradiction of circumstance. That's what it means. How, what, what is he smiling about? What is he laughing about? Kind of like, imagine a fighter, he's in the ring and he, he's bloodied and he's bruised and it looks like he's about to go down and he starts to smile. They're like, what in the world? He goes, because I know something. You do not know. (laughs) I am not (laughs) left-handed. Right? He's not a beat at the point uh, right here. And so he understands joy is when you know something your enemy doesn't know. Amen? I'm not going to lose. I'm not going. I may seem down to you, but let me tell you, the Bible tells me I'm not out. Because the righteous man falls seven times, but he does what? He gets back up. And God's word tells us that he will sustain us, that there has no temptation taken us, which is not common to man. But God with the temptation will give us a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. 
in the midst of this great contradiction of circumstances, we can smile, awry, smile, because we know something that they don't know. Our lives are so filled with ease that we seldom experience joy like this, like those that have gone before us. Because of our blessings, we are so separated from what it would be like to have uh, maybe labored in the hot sun uh, for days and, and weeks trying to plant our crop uh, that we saved up money for the seeds to have. And, and, and as we raised them by carrying water pails to, to every plant and we did it, but, the, but then the rain never came. And so we kept running from a well that we had to dig because there wasn't near enough water. And, and we've been trying and trying and we've been working and we've been sweating and we're, we feel like we're just done and we're just, and we just, okay, God. And we whisper a prayer to God in the midst of it and we sit down and we realize all those plants are just going to have to die because there's no more left of me. But then... <laughs> But then a cool wisp of wind blows. You know that? Have you ever been out when it's hot and you feel that cold wind? You're like, what is that? And next thing you know, a drop of rain hits on your face. And in the midst of your contradiction of circumstances, you begin to laugh at yourself. You may be crying. You're like, I was done. I thought it was over. But God came and he brought the rain that I couldn't bring. Amen. You see, we don't live lives that are like that, Steve. We're, our lives are easy. Oil became a symbol of joy for God's people in a variety of ways. They burned it in their lamps to light the darkness. They didn't have electricity. So think of oil as their electricity. They also mixed it with their flour to make the bread that they ate. That's a joyful thing, right? There is nothing I like better than bread. I'm telling you, I like better, bread better than cake. I like it better than pie. I like bread better than anything. Just so you know, with a hard crust on the outside and soft on the inside and kind of warm with butter. I just want to throw that out there. When I'm an old man, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bread was a joyful thing. It came from their oil mixed with their flour. They even anointed their skin with it to refresh their sun-parched faces. Kings and priests were anointed with it to symbolize their calling by the Holy Spirit into these positions. And when they were, these occasions were occasions of great joy. Amen? You can see how oil became a symbol of joy. In the holy place where the brazen altar of incense and the table of showbread were set, the golden lampstand festooned with almond leaves and blossoms and bowls filled with pure oil. Many times we think of a menorah of candles. Folks, they, didn't, they, they weren't candles. I don't know if you know this or not, but they were just bowls of oil and they lit them on fire. Both Elijah and Elisha brought unthinkable joy to the homes of two widow women with oil. The first, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 5. Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and dwelt by the brook of Cherith, that is before Jordan. 
And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. This is, this is, I mean, he's getting ravens to bring him food and he's got a brook to provide his water, but even that runs out and he said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have a widow feed you and take care of you. So he arose to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, there was a widow woman gathering sticks and he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going forth to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but I have a handful of meal in a barrel, and I have a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. This was a very, this is, this really symbolizes what, it's hard for you to comprehend, and me too. You know, many of us have been to Myanmar where this is their, their daily reality. We hear a story like this, and it sounds like a storybook. It sounds like something, you know, wow, wow, you know, that must have happened really long time ago. That kind of stuff is still happening. There's a little girl we met over there, and Pastor Ning told me when he met her, she had sticks on her back. And she was nine years old and he saw her and he said, why is this little girl doing this? He said, she has to carry the sticks or she will starve. We don't even know what that's like, but that little girl, she knows. Elijah said to this woman, fear not, go and do as I've told you. Make me therefore a little cake first and bring it to me. And after make one for you and your son. Wow. Now, you might say, why did he say that? Well, God had told him this woman was going to provide for him. That'd be even more difficult to imagine than ravens, honestly. A widow woman who's about to die is going to provide for me. What, what, what do you think God was doing to the prophet here? For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail. That's what I'm talking to us about today, guys. The never ending the never wasting oil. What is it? It's joy. Until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and she did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat for many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail. God doesn't fail. Amen. Like this unfailing cruise of oil, the joy of the Lord never fails. Amen? Amen. The hope and faith given to us by God never fail to produce the holy fruit of the Spirit. Elisha, who was given a double portion of the Spirit of Elijah, did more than double when it came to this same oil. And I really believe that God had this very specific thing happen to him as a way to show what God could do was even more. Here he provided enough for the prophet and, his, and, his, uh, and the widow who was taking care of him. But Elijah did even more. Do you guys know this story? Second Kings chapter 4, there cried a woman of the wise with the sons of the prophets of Elisha. Now it's not Elijah, it's Elisha. It's the prophet with the double portion. Thy servant 
My husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my sons to be bondmen. The one woman was going to die, and this woman was going to have her sons made into slaves. I tell you what, I would rather die than to see my sons made slaves. Helpless and burdensome, debt threatening to snuff out the joy of her life. She must live to see her children turned into slaves was even more desperate. She put her hope and faith in God and his prophet, and she lived to see a better day. Amen. Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, thy handmaiden, I don't have anything in my house except a little pot of oil. You might say, I don't have anything. You may think what you have is nothing. But the Bible tells us that we have the joy of the Holy Ghost. He said, go borrow vessels abroad of thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. Thou shalt pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. We hear the story of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes. But this was not new what Jesus did then because he did it for this widow woman here. This day he multiplied a little tiny bit of oil into oil that filled vessel after vessel after vessel until they ran out of vessels to put it in. They ran out of vessels to put it in before the oil ran out. Oh man, I just, mercy. This is when I wish I was still a Pentecostal preacher. I'd just tear the pulpit down right now, preaching. <laughs> Woo! And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there, is, there are no more vessels. You see, God never runs out of what he has to give us. We run out of capacity to keep it. That's why we overflow. That's what the Bible, when the Bible says we're filled with the spirit, it means that it's just, we've got what we need and it overflows, right? Didn't David say, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup does what? It overflows. He's got more for us than we can even hold. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay the debt and live. You see, oil became this great symbol of joy. Wouldn't that be a joyful day? Could you imagine the woman? Lane, can you imagine? She's just like, this oil is so valuable. I've got oil. I can sell it. I can pay my debt. I can live. My sons can be free. That would be so much better than going to Wally World. You will run out of vessels before God runs out of oil. When we put our hope in him and we step out in faith, we are sure to be delighted by the blessings of joy. Our Old Testament forefathers were given the great gift of joy and became known for it all over the world. They were known as the people of joy. If you recall, when they were taken captive, their captors came and they brought them instruments. They said, you people are known for your singing and your dancing. Sing for us. And they said, how can we sing when Jerusalem is gone? They realized the source of their joy wasn't just that they were good singers, that they were good instruments, that they had nothing to dance about, but their joy was rooted in God himself. They were not those who were exempt from famine or difficulty, but they sang and they danced the dances of joy to the consternation of the whole world around them. We may be coming to a time when people have nothing to rejoice about, but we will. 
We will. You can't take away our source of joy. It is not in the fact that we live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. It is not because we have the right to assemble without being molested by our authorities. It is not because we are the richest nation on earth that we have joy today. That can change. The world struggled under the weight of sin and death, survival of the fittest, rule of the powerful, and confusion reigned in much of the world. But the people of God were able to rise above it then. As we have learned over the past two weeks, the first light of the darkness of a new world now filled with sin and death. It was hope. Hope was the divine knowledge and the prophecy that things would not always be as they were then. It is a powerful force even to the point of Romans chapter 10 where he says we are saved by hope. You may be feeling hopeless with all that you see around and God says, oh, but you've got your hope in the wrong thing. Knowing that weeping will only endure for a night gives us hope that joy comes in the morning. The glorious hope gave birth to the lives filled with faith. Lives lived out in this hope. Hope was the glorious, but faith was even more glorious. Knowledge gave way to action. Hope gave birth to faith. But today we're talking about something even more glorious than faith. It is beyond being saved from sin and death. It is a step closer into the presence of God. A step closer to his nature. You see, joy comes from the deep fountains of our faith and it refreshes the weary soul. Their joy was based in the fact that one day Jesus would come. And folks, let me tell you, he came and he came for us. Now our joy comes from knowing that he will come again to fill the earth with his glory. Our joy is even more glorious than their joy was. Many of them would share in the joy of suffering for Christ. The nine candle lights of the Hanukkah menorah are lights of joy. I don't know if you know this. The story of the festival of lights or Hanukkah as it is called took place during the silent period. That time of 400 years between the last book, the last prophet of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ. This 400 year period of time, they call it the silent period because God did not speak to his people through a prophet. But it was during this time between the old and the new that the Greeks had taken over Jerusalem and even the newly rebuilt temple. Jesus, his disciples and the apostles are said according to scripture to have observed the time that they celebrated this feast of lights. You may remember that Jesus on the feast of lights stood up and said, I am the light of the world. He was saying he is the light of the world because they were celebrating the feast of lights or Hanukkah even then. And what were they celebrating? They celebrated this on the 25th of Kislev. And it could be a reason that Christmas Day is celebrated on that December the 25th. The great festival or feast is where Jesus said the words, as I told you, that he was the light of the world. I would encourage you, if you want to know more about this, Dr. Kaiser wrote a a little booklet about this. You can look it up on biblical blueprints. And it's called December the 25th, celebrating the birth of Jesus, Jewish style. It's a free download. You can check it out. But Jerusalem was not in ruins as it had been after the Babylonians sacked it in 586. But standing in splendor now 419, 419 uh, years later in 167, the temple was now being used for all manner of ungodliness during this period. 
circumcision had been banned and the local rulers of the time, a Greek named Antiochus Epiphanes, profaned the temple by building an altar to Zeus inside of the temple and offering up pigs on God's holy altar in the temple and requiring Jews to come and participate in these abominations. Folks, I'm telling you, the evil that is, uh, that is present in this world today is no different. Not only do they want to be able to do evil themselves, but they want you to do it with them. They want you to tell them that marriage is between a man and a man or a man and anything or a woman and a woman or whatever. They want to tell you they want you. They want our churches to be used for this, but they will not be. They want to tell us that they can gather for whatever, but we cannot gather for worship. And I'm telling you, I don't care what they say. That the, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And if we have to go into hiding to worship God, then we will. Some believe that the Bible, uh, when it refers to the abomination of desolation, was this time in history. Antiochus' actions provoked a large-scale revolt. There was a priest by the name of Matthias, a Jewish priest. He had five sons. Jochanan, Simeon, Eleazar, Jonathan, and Judah. And they led a rebellion against Antiochus starting when Matthias killed the first Jew who wanted to comply with Antiochus' order to sacrifice to Zeus. He just said, absolutely. We're not sacrificing to Zeus, a pig on the altar of God. And he just couldn't take it. He was eaten up with the zeal of the house of God and he smote the Jew and killed him. Notice he didn't kill a Greek. You see, when, the, when wicked men do wickedness, that's not an abomination. But when we do it, it is. You see, we know better. His bravery in this act sparked enthusiasm among God's people. And they rose up and they shook off the Greeks from their backs. They drove them out of their temple. They destroyed the altar that they had erected. Amen? They took the temple and the holy city back and immediately they wanted to consecrate it. And as a part of the work there, they relit the golden lampstand inside the holy place. They got all excited and they lit it. But then they said, oh no, it'll go out. And, and it was, you can read it in Leviticus and Exodus. This was to be made and oil was supposed to be put there, but it can only be pure oil. And they realized it was going to run out. Oh no, they only had enough oil to last for one day and it takes nine days to make the oil and they're like here we have taken the temple back and we have lit the lampstand in the holy place but it's just going to go out god's going to be displeased let's start making some oil and so they begin to work with the olives and they were crushing and they were working and they knew it was going to take days but they thought we'll just try and somehow one day's worth of oil kept burning for nine days this was a miracle and they were able to see it. They were able to make it. That's what Hanukkah is about. Isn't that a neat thing? Jesus celebrated it. So don't get scared that we're bringing it up. <laughs> Remember the large seven basin oil lamp overlaid with gold and decorated with almond branches, flowers, blooms, and nuts. It was made to burn from oil specifically made according to God's instructions. And when they lit it, as I said, they did not check to make sure there was enough to keep it burning. But... By God's grace, he made that oil pot waste not that had the oil in it. Amen. Yeah. They prayed that the oil would not run out and it kept burning. 
And that's what the festival of lights was about. Jesus, the oil, the oil of joy that will not let God's light go out. He is the light of the world. Now this is what we are. And what a joyful thing to be God's light in a darkened world. To be squeezed from what we are until we are something else. Amen. Our text said, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, the work that we do, maybe we will be crushed. But if we are, we will just become the oil of joy itself. Because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Jesus despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But considering him what endured such great contradiction. He, Jesus had this great contradiction. He, he's, he's being mocked. He's being suffered. He's being rejected. He's being despised. He's on display. He's being humiliated. And at the same time, he has joy. Why? Because the joy that was set before him. What was that joy, Jonathan? It was you. It was William. It was Nora and Melody and Ashley. He said, there are going to be these people called the Narrowhalls. He said, he said, they're going to serve me and they're going to love me. And I'm going to save them from their sins. And they're going to sing my praises. And all right, it's worth it. I can tell you right now, I can understand a little bit of this. How many of you would suffer so that others could live? Would suffer so that others could have what you were losing? I would. And I can understand that. Paul wrote about joy in the book of Philippians from a cold prison, and yet it did not inhibit his understanding of it. It amplified it. Suffering and difficulty have a way of bringing it. These things do not make us happy. We don't, quote, enjoy them while they are upon us, but they bring joy out of us like sap from a wounded tree and like oil from a crushed olive. For Jesus, in our text in Hebrews, joy was set before him. Our salvation was the song before him. The satisfaction of sin, the payment of our punishment that only he could make was the melody he heard amid the din of the mockers of their off-key jibs. Silent as he was before their insults, the song of joy welled up within him. And we know the words he spoke on the cross, they were from The same psalms of joy. He quoted from Psalm 22. He quoted from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He quoted all the way through Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And all the way to Psalm 34 where it says into thy hands. I commend my spirit. You may not have noticed that, but read those Psalms and you will see Jesus on the cross is quoting the Psalms. In the midst of his anguish, the Psalms sprang forth and quenched the thirst he had on the cross and carried him to the end of his journey he had to make to death for us. Jesus is our source and our never ending source of the oil of joy. And each year when we see the celebration of Hanukkah, we can remember that Jesus is our never ending oil of joy. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, your mercy is unsearchable.
Your joy is unquenchable and unstoppable, Lord. In the midst of great contradiction, you had joy. In our time of great contradiction, we can too. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to see the difference between temporary happiness and abiding joy. That we would long for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, long, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Lord, there are no laws that they can pass that can take love from us. No laws that they can pass to take joy from us. No prison cell dark enough, Lord, to extinguish the light of joy. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, they cannot take, Lord, what you give to us and what flows from us as a source of your, from your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, to realize that today and celebrate it on this beautiful Lord's Day. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to serve you.